Hey everyone, Johnny Brush here. Welcome to the Jesus on Display podcast. Before we begin today's content, I wanted to say thanks for supporting us here at Fellowship Greenville with your gifts and your generosity. Because of your giving, we get to share resources like this podcast with you to help reach you wherever you are in your life with Jesus. If you'd like to support the ministry of Fellowship Greenville, you can head to fellowshipgreenville.org slash give to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. In my backyard, we have a really nice open patio that we love to sit on, and and uh, we had a space carved into the cement when it was being poured for a fire pit, because we love sitting around the fire with the kids or our community group or anyone who needs a listening ear that week. And when I know that I'm going to be making a fire, the process actually starts the day before. I need to make sure I have enough wood. I need to make sure it's dry enough that the weather will be right for it. Then on the day when we actually want to have the fire, I usually get started early before anyone shows up to the house because I know it's going to take some time. Then once I'm there, I start with the most important part of building a fire, and that's the kindling. Typically, I set up a small pile of thin and dry sticks and strategically place logs in a cabin-style pile. It's the only way but not too much because the fire needs airflow in order for the coal base to be strong enough to support a fully roaring fire. And once I feel like everything is ready and set up, I wait for there to be a lull in the wind and then I strike the match, but still, still shielding that tiny flame with my hand in case a rogue wind comes through and blows it out. And as I place the flame to the lowest part of the kindling pile, I patiently wait for the tiny flame to catch and then grow and then grow and grow some more to the point where it can handle a little air as I bend down to blow on it in order to fan it into the fire that our community can all enjoy together. And Once all that work is done, man, if you've been around one, you know, it's just s'mores and laughter and hours of deep conversations all around. And I think gathering together to worship is a lot like that. It takes intentionality. It takes preparation. It takes patience. And I wonder, do you put that kind of thought into gathering with your brothers and sisters each week? Do you come prepared to help fan the coals into flames for your brothers and sisters? Do you spend time on Saturday or maybe even the drive-in asking the Spirit to use you to encourage those around you, maybe even praying for some churches on the way in as you drive by them? Do you come with an expectation that you will leave that service burning brighter for Jesus? Worshiping together isn't easy, and it doesn't happen by accident. It requires effort, not just from the staff, but from all of us. And the kindling that will make for a glorious fire for all of us to enjoy is God himself. Look at verse three and verse seven. Notice the the fours. For Yahweh is a great God. For he is our God. He's the reason. So let these truths fan the flame in your heart this morning. Yahweh is king. 
you have nothing to fear. He created existence itself and commands it without rival. You are his sheep under his care, never wanting anything. He is your satisfaction and your provision. You have no need to worry or be afraid. This is our God, your God. He loves you and invites you to worship him with joyful abandon in the midst of his people. So let's join in. Let's put in the work and with God as our kindling, come prepared and with expectation. This is his call to us. And there is actually a warning against not heeding this call. And it can feel strange and kind of scary. There are seven commands to do something in this psalm, and we'll get to those in a bit. But there is one command to not do something. We see it at the end of verse seven and into verse eight. It says, do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, his call to humble yourself before him and worship him, and you harden your heart to it, it will not go well for you. In fact, we are given an example of what happens to those who harden their hearts by the psalmist's reference in verses eight through 11. He references Meribah and Massa. Now you notice this psalm is so upbeat and encouraging and really takes a hard turn there. You know, it's like, where did that come from? And it's intentional. These verses are a reference to a short story in Exodus chapter 17, where the people of Israel who were in the wilderness, they complain and they grumble about God not giving them what they thought they deserved or what they needed. And it results in them asking the dangerous and audacious question, is Yahweh really among us or not? They began doubting everything that he had ever done. And here's what's crazy. The command here in Psalm 95 is in the context of worshiping with God's people. Not in the context of survival in the wilderness, but in the joyful gathering of the saints. The psalmist is saying, listen to his voice. Join in on worshiping him. Give him your whole self. Don't harden your heart to it. Humble yourself before him. And there's a very real danger in gathering to worship and refusing to soften your heart to it. When you put conditions on your worship or when you only want to worship if your preferences are met or only when you're really feeling it that day, there is a danger of hardening your heart. And you may just find yourself silently asking, is God really among us or not? Instead, when God himself and who he is and what he's done and his objective worthiness is the reason for your worship, having a soft and humble heart actually becomes much, much easier. And your preferences or what you think you need in order to worship slowly start to fade away. He will actually be reason enough to worship. All right, answer number two. What does God want from us for our worship? God wants our worship to be active. God wants our worship to be active. As I mentioned earlier, this psalm is traditionally called the venite, which means come. So it's an invitation 
to join in on something, not be passive and observe, but to participate. Renan, Ruah, Tauda, Shacha, Kara, and Barak. How'd I do? Was that, I think you wouldn't know. I pronounced those correctly. It's fine. Uh, these are the six commands of this psalm in Hebrew. Uh, the first commands are noise-making commands. Have fun with it. Renan, or sing, meaning singing or shouting. Ruah, or shout joyfully, usually used figuratively for extreme expression. The Hebrew literally means to split the ears. Isn't that kind of nice? And we're commanded to do that twice, so bring your earmuffs. Uh, Tauda, meaning to proclaim gratitude, usually with an extended hand, portraying the making of a vow, which we still do to this day in court, when we promise to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, helping God. So, not just feel gratitude, but to proclaim it with your voice, to shout it, to sing it. And the last three commands are bodily expression commands. Shacha, translated worship, actually means to lay prostrate or press down into the ground. Chara, uh, wonderfully translated, bow down. And then lastly, barak, meaning to bow in reverence or submission. Ironically, these last three commands are about lowering ourselves before God. It's kind of interesting. All of these commands couldn't be any clearer. Worshiping God is a call to do something with our bodies. It's what he wants. And we say it a lot here, but at FG, one of the things we value is participatory worship. It's a fun word. Participatory worship, not spectator worship or performance worship. This is an all hands on deck situation. No man left behind. Now, I, I think we actually do a great job with this idea of being active in our worship here at FG when it comes to singing. And to be sure, music and singing is hands down one of the clearest ways that scripture instructs us to worship God. Uh, it's so important, in fact, that our very own Jim Thompson wrote a book on it called Sing Loud, Die Happy. You should definitely buy a copy of it. Uh, it's so, so good and digs into the eternally significant role that singing plays in the life of God's people. Or at the very least, if you're not a huge reader, uh, you should go back and listen to a sermon titled Words of Singing. It was on July 11th, 2021, and you can find it on the FG YouTube channel there. Great stuff there. So yes, I think we do a great job at this part, this aspect of joining in on worship that is singing. But we are called to so much more than just singing. We're called to use our voices and our bodies to worship and to express our joy and remember, this is his idea. This is God's idea. I genuinely believe he finds great joy in it when we do that. When we clap our hands after a song, uh, it's not for the band. It's a final noise of celebration over the truth that we just sang. Or when someone shouts, it's not about drawing attention to themselves. It's a ruah, a joyful noise that comes from an overflow of gratitude to God. When someone jumps or kneels or lifts their hands, let it be an invitation to you to do the same, to spur one another on to deeper worship, to participate. It pleases God when we do it. And there are so many wonderful ways that we can participate. Showing up is step one. So those of you in the room, good job. You're crushing it. Well done. 
Uh, joining in on the singing is another way, like we've talked about. Sing loud, sing proud. And this might be controversial, but that command also goes for people who can't carry a tune in a bucket, okay? So if God finds joy in you singing a little pitchy, then you should too, and so should we. And also maybe take some voice lessons. Uh, also, as I mentioned, we can join in with our bodies. And while this might be easy for some of us, others of us find this one really difficult. When we worship God, he doesn't just want a part of us, he wants all of us to bring our whole self, our whole being into worship. Tim Keller says this, Worship is the whole self ascribing ultimate value to something. Worship is the whole self ascribing ultimate value to something. We aren't just brains walking around or just emotions with no logic or just a spirit kind of floating around or just a body, but rather we are all of those things simultaneously. And I think... Oftentimes, we are willing to participate in worship with one or maybe two of those, but not all of them. For instance, I think perhaps we can be really great at worshiping God with our minds by thinking well about him and making sure our theology is in line with scripture, and that is absolutely necessary for our worship. But what about your heart? When was the last time you felt joy for the Lord or truly lamented to God over a pain in your life or cried tears of joy when looking back on all that he's done for you? Or maybe, maybe you're really great at both of those. You think well about God and you feel deep emotion for him, but you still don't quite feel comfortable worshiping God with your body. It might feel awkward to lift your hands or clap or kneel. And uh, I, I'd like to press on this one particularly because I think this one stands out to us. It is a little more noticeable than, than the other ones. I can't tell from the outside whether or not my brother or sister is worshiping with their mind or their heart. That's between them and God. But jumping, clapping, kneeling, it's pretty hard to hide all that. And because it's so obvious, sometimes we can find ourselves second-guessing our motives. If I do this, people will see me. Am I doing this to be seen? Am I prideful? Or maybe we can say, what if I'm faking it? Am I really feeling this or just trying to trick myself into feeling something? So I'd like to offer a few thoughts that might help us. I've noticed something over the 16 years that I've been doing this. It seems to me that out there in normal life stuff, outside of the Sunday morning gathering, very rarely do we need to be instructed on how to celebrate something. It's a very natural human thing to celebrate with our bodies. When your kid gets a touchdown, when dad comes home from work and the kids come running, when that check comes through just in time to pay rent when she says yes, when your candidate wins the election, when the ball drops and everyone shouts happy new year, very naturally, 
There is laughing, cheering, hands in the air, clapping, hugging, smiling. We want to do something with our bodies to communicate our emotions. It's very natural. But something very interesting happens when we come in here. For some reason, in the place where celebration and joy should be the most expressed, we find ourselves hesitant or overly concerned with what others will think. And oftentimes we end up standing still, coffee in hand, maybe barely even a smile on our face. And yes, I, I know that this is rooted in a thousand different things, upbringing, personality, physical limitations, bad church experiences. But again, what we're asking this morning isn't what am I comfortable with? Rather, what we're asking is what does God want? What kind of worshipers is he seeking out? John 4 tells us it's those who worship him in spirit and truth, those who worship with their whole being. So if you find yourself in a church gathering, perhaps today, and you feel that hesitation to express, maybe ask yourself a, a few challenging questions. Why, why do I feel awkward doing this? When I see others expressing with freedom, am I jealous? Resentful, maybe judgmental? Do I want to give my whole self to God in worship? Or is there an area that I'm, I'm not ready for him to have? What does it say about my heart towards God if I am readily willing to express my joy and affection for other things in my life, but not to him? And again, I know this is sensitive because it's a visible act of worship and it draws the eye and it can feel like what I'm saying is if you're not raising your hands during the chorus of the song, then you're not really worshiping God. I promise that's not what I'm saying. All I'm asking is for us to consider does our worshiping life, does your worshiping life look like Psalm 95? And if not, what does that mean for you? At this church, during our gatherings, I want to be clear. You are free to worship. You're free to feel. You're free to shout. Free to smile. Free to express your worship. So let's get after it. Let's listen to the invite. Come. Let us worship our God with our whole self. Mind, heart, soul, and body. And uh, just a word of encouragement about this idea. I've been here, as I said, my whole life. And this church has grown dramatically in this area of feeling that freedom to express our joy and our worship of God. And my hope is this, that we would continue growing, that we would keep pushing in that direction. All right, our final answer this morning. I heard that, amen, that was really nice. Our final answer this morning to the question, what does God want our worship to look like? God wants us to worship together. God wants us to worship together. Now you may have noticed that this psalm is not written with singular pronouns. It doesn't say, let me sing to God, let me bow down, but rather in plural pronouns. In fact, there are over 10 of them. Let us sing, we see that in verse one. Let us make a joyful noise. Verse two, let us bow down. Verse seven, for he is our God. 
This invitation is for all of God's people to join in together. And the primary analogy that we're given for this is in verse seven. It's that of a flock of sheep under the care of a shepherd. Extensive research shows that sheep are calmer, safer, and more productive when in a flock. And even when, if they were alone, they were shown pictures or videos of other sheep, they became more regulated. They FaceTimed with other sheep and it helped. Uh, but when isolated, their heart rates increased, causing stress and erratic behavior, sometimes leading them to wandering away from the flock, getting lost, or worse, killed. Now, I know, I know that we're not actually sheep, but I think there is a profound truth to learn here. Can a sheep survive on its own? Probably, maybe, for a time. Can it eat and sleep and maybe find a field with fresh grass all by itself? Perhaps, if it's lucky. But wouldn't it be better if it was with a flock? And even better still if it was under the care of a good shepherd? The statistics would say yes. And I believe it's the same for us. If there isn't a regular habit in your life to gather with other believers, you will be like a lost sheep, off on their own. So yes, worship every day privately in your heart, absolutely. Yes, get some good quality alone time. Yes, listen to worship music in your car and praise God by yourself. And, not but, and, Make it a priority to regularly gather with God's people, to remind them and yourself that you are part of his flock, the sheep under his care. The Jesus On Display podcast is produced right here at Fellowship Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Follow and share this podcast with anyone who might be interested or curious about our church community or how storytelling unites us and helps us feel more connected. To actively keep up with what's going on at our church, head to our website at fellowshipgreenville.org, follow us on all social media platforms, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace to you for your week. We'll see you next time.